when I say reading scripture rightly, I, I, I was thinking about what bothered me about that title. And it just sounds like, well, if we read it right, then we got everything right, right? So it can, it can, kind, of, it can kind of bend us towards self-righteousness. Um, so even just reading a scripture rightly, well, that, that would be a first step for us. But we need, to, uh, we need to pray that the Lord helps us to, you know, apply these, these verses rightly, not just read them rightly. So um, maybe I'll change the title before the end of the, the series next week. But, um, but that's really what we're doing uh, this week and, and next week. Um, man, I remember, I remember the time someone said the words to me, Ronnie, it's going to be okay. And maybe you've had people say that to you or you've said that to other people. You know what? It's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And I remember I, something sticks out in my mind because I remember the first time that I ever thought, you know what? You don't know that. And I remember thinking, hey, I, I get what you're trying to do here, but it might not be okay. Nobody can know if things are going to be okay. And by the way, saying that to me, although I, I appreciate the heart that you're extending out to me, um, that doesn't seem to help me all that much in some ways. And so Romans 8.28, which is our main passage this morning, it's been used as one of what I'm calling the unfortunate band-aid passages in the church, meaning whatever is wrong, whatever we might be struggling through or facing, if you just slap a Romans 8.28 over it, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, then, man, that's it, presto, right? The bleeding will stop. The problem is solved. So we can just move on and get back to work because God has this, so please stop, right? But life tends to be a little more complicated than that, doesn't it? Your life is more nuanced than that. The Christian life can't simply be reduced to ignoring our painful and difficult circumstances simply because intellectually we know that God is good and God is in control, right? Though God is in control, that is true, we exist in a world that is out of control and therefore outside of our control. And this creates realities and complexities that affect our soul, that affects our state of mind. So as we look down here into Romans 8.28, what if Paul, the writer of this book, what if he was driving at something far deeper and infinitely more helpful here than just a fix-it verse to help us avoid the uncomfortableness of our circumstances and the circumstances of our brothers and sisters? Now our passage, a little background, it comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul, who was this former uh, religious leader, this brutal guy that thought he was doing God's work by trying to kill off the early converts to Christ, and then he himself is converted. He himself has this moment with Jesus where he surrenders his life. God pulls him out of the darkness, shines his light on Paul, and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me by taking down my church? And Paul ends up becoming regenerated in his heart and becomes one of the greatest ambassadors for Jesus and Christianity that the world has and, and will, will ever know. But in his letter to the Romans here, he explains to them what having salvation in Jesus actually means. And he goes super deep. 
So if you ever read the book of Romans, man, you're taking a, a deep dive. And someday when I become a good preacher, man, we're just going to do that. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take a deep dive into the book of, of Romans. But he was concerned that they knew Jesus was both human and divine. That was one of the things that he wanted the Romans to know. That, that Jesus died, that he rose again. And that this gospel work that Jesus did, it secures a person for all eternity. Paul wanted the Romans to know that Christ's love for his people is a hope that should shape and should mark every part of their lives. And as you jump into Romans, you just see him unpack this really slowly and intentionally. And then we arrive at Romans chapter 8, where Paul is saying, hey, look, if you are in Christ and his spirit lives inside of you, you are no longer condemned. Man, and that's like a basic heart and tenet of the, of the gospel, the good news. Man, there's no condemnation anymore for you. Christ did all the work to secure your salvation so that, that you could never earn. That, that's so important. We say that a lot around here. That would be where we lean theologically, all right? Christ did the work because we don't have the power to do the work. Therefore, your salvation is a gift of grace to you. And Paul just doubles down on that. He's saying his perfect righteousness is the righteousness that you need in order to be justified before God and raised to this new life of freedom that's available because of Jesus. And then as we get to verse 18 in chapter 8, he, he talks about suffering. Paul is somebody who, who knew something about what it meant when life was not going the way that you plan it all out to go. He talks about suffering and how the things that we suffer here on earth, though terrible and tragic and painful and shaping and hurtful, he actually says they're not even comparable to the glory that is waiting for us in heaven. He describes how we, as people, we groan. We have this inner groaning. Do you ever feel that? Man, sometimes I just feel like I'm groaning on the inside. He, he describes how we have this groaning alongside of creation itself as we wait in hope for the coming of the Lord. And in this waiting, he tells us the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. In fact, we're so weak, Paul says in chapter 8, we, we don't even know what to pray a lot of times. Has that been your experience? And I know I want to pray and I bow my head and there's nothing. Nothing comes out. I don't know what to pray. Paul says, well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're in Christ, if you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that knows what you need, knows what to pray, even when you don't know what to pray. He knows and speaks what we can't speak as we try to express the depths of our hearts before the Lord. So this is a little bit of where Paul leads us as we get into chapter 8. And then he gets to these verses that we're going to cover today. But I'm going to start uh, in verse 26. 28 is our main verse, but I'm going to start a little ways back in 26 to give us a little better context here. So Romans 8, 26, and it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints 
according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, unlike some kind of spiritual bandage to put over the top of a deep cut, Paul is providing words to help us understand the purposes of God when the complexities of life are pressing down upon us. So let me just start right here. Who is Paul speaking to and why does, it, why does it matter? Paul says he's speaking to two people, those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. Let's break down a little bit of what he means by those who love God because first off, these promises that we read about here that are so encouraging for us in the book of Romans are for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And what this does is it gives the children of God, those who have placed their faith in Christ, a vantage point. It gives us a vantage point for how to understand hardships, to how to understand those groanings that are too deep for words. And what we know about our faith and what we know about the fruit of our faith as Paul unpacks, unpacks it, is that the fruit of our faith is love for God. The fruit of our faith is knowing his love for us. Galatians 5, 6 tells us, for in Christ Jesus, neither, it's going to sound strange, circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what, what Paul is trying to say there really quickly is all this external stuff that, that can show uh, 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 an, an evidence of a desire for something needs to be worked out in actual faith in, in Christ which finds its grounding in the love of God and then in the love we have for God because of his love for us, if that makes sense. Look what it says in Romans chapter five about God's love. Let's go back to five, verse five. I'm gonna read just a few verses here so that we can understand what it means, what Paul means when he says those who love God. Verse five says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But, that's what he says in verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have assurance, we have confidence, you have knowledge, you know that for those who love God and are loved by him, all things work together for good. So to love God and be loved by God, it's kind of a qualifier for us as Paul is unpacking this force. Why? Well, because it's the love of Christ that grounds your faith in him. See, because here's the thing, you can just walk in here and you can go through life and you can just believe in God. How many people do you meet that say, I believe in God, and when you look at their life, you're like, dude, clearly you do not look like somebody who believes in God. 
right? How many times do we experience that? You can believe in God, but if you lack a love for God that comes from a genuine faith in God, you don't have any assurance that his purposes for you are good at all. Do you understand what that means? If you just have a belief, a generic belief, yeah, God, that guy, the big dude, but it's not grounded in a love for God because of his love for you, how do you have any assurance that his purposes for you are good? Yeah. A boss can terminate you if you fail on the job. Right? He, he can do that. He's, he's a boss. But a friend who loves you will be there regardless of the job you do. Does that make sense? It reminds us even of Proverbs 17, which says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So what Paul is saying here is that this promise from God that all things work together for good, it is first and foremost for those who love God. It is for those who have been loved by God and therefore love God, right? Secondly, it's for those who are called, it's, he says, according to his purpose. What does it mean to be called? What does it mean to be, what does that word even, even mean? Well, on Wednesday, I had a friend reach out to me and say, hey, um, I want to call you this afternoon. I want to discuss something with you. Now, I, di I didn't know I, I didn't know he was going to call me. I didn't know why he called me. I did nothing to make him call me, but he chose to call me and tell me his purpose for calling me when we spoke. I had no idea what he wanted to discuss, but what I did know, follow me here, was that this brother was a trusted friend. And everything I've ever experienced from him up to this point has only been love and grace. When God called you or calls you, if you haven't been yet called, according to his purpose, it means first and foremost, foremost that he has drawn you in, right? To faith, to repentance, to forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And the purpose of God for your life after he has called you and drawn you in and brought you from darkness to light, from death to life, the purpose of it is found in verse 29. He said, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. So Paul is speaking to those who are called according to his purpose, the purpose of God being to conform you to the image of his son. If you ever wondered why you exist, if you ever wondered why God bothers with you at all, which is a really horrible way of putting it, but it's using some human language to say, why is God after me? Why do I find myself in this church? How did I find myself with a gathering of other believers? Why do I find myself with a growing love for Christ? 
Why do I find myself with this growing understanding of who Jesus is? And I, again, every Sunday, man, I got to hear the Ronnie say practically the same thing every week. And yet I got this growing knowledge and understanding and love of who God is and for the people of God and for the work of God and for the kingdom of God. What, what is that exactly? Well, it's you being conformed into the image of God's son because that is his purpose. His purpose was to lovingly call you out of darkness and into what the Bible calls his marvelous light and what you find in that light is none other than Jesus Christ who God spends your life conforming you more deeply to. So who is Paul speaking to? He's speaking to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, which is what helps us when we get to the all things work together for good part. Because God calls his people to purposes that might not be so seen, but are still, and we'll see this in a minute, are securely his purposes and can be securely trusted. So what does Paul mean? What is he driving at here when he says this line, all things work together for good. Well, let's just unpack the words all things because this reminds us that events in our life that seem to contain no possible good or make any logical sense are not excluded for how God will use them to conform you to the image of his son. If you can imagine for a second the pain that is contained in all things for Paul. Imagine when Paul says something like all things, this isn't a brother who wasn't acquainted with a variety of things in his life that led him to a place to be able to encourage us with that truth. Man, this is a brother that experienced some stuff. This was a brother who was close to the Lord that was being sanctified by him, that was actually giving inspired words to write down that someday the church would read thousands of years later. And yet this was a brother that experienced hardships to the point that he even despaired of his life, he talks about. And yet he writes this, all things work together for good. What are the all things in your life? I'm not just talking about the inconveniences, not just the annoyances, not just the couple of bad breaks that you've had, but literally the everything. All the, all the tragedies, all the suffering, all the ways you've been unjustly harmed and sinned against all the heartbreaking moments that have descended upon your life and have you breaking sometimes under just this impossible weight that they bear down upon you. All things, Paul says, the things that make you question if there's a God and if there is, he must be a monster. All things, Paul says. The all things are the things that send shivers up your spine. 
until you realize, until you understand that if it was less than all things, then we'd have no assurance that God was God in anything and that he was worthy to love and that we'd ever even want to be called by him. See, it's, we have to ground ourselves back to what Paul is driving at here because it's because of Jesus that we can understand all things. It's because of Christ that the all things makes sense to us in terms of how we think of how God is arranging all the things, right? Because even though we don't know why or how all things work together for good, we know that it's not because God is not good or caring. It can't be because of that. When you look at Jesus, Jesus proves God is those things because who else would send their son to willingly sacrifice themselves so that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when you look around, when I look around and we have those moments where we, man, we absolutely don't get it. We are just like absolutely perplexed like Paul talks about. When we look around and we find ourselves and we see all the things that are crushing, what do we do? What do we remember? When we are threatened with all of the things in our life to start thinking differently and wrongly about God's character and his motivations towards us. When we think, when we look at all the stuff that's crushing us, what do we do? We remember who was crushed for us so that not one thing in your life would ever be unaccounted for or unknown or left for chance or dumb luck. Do you see the encouragement there? Do you see sort of the sobriety kind of filled hope that we get when we understand all things? When we look around and we're in despair and we don't know why and we don't have answers and everybody around us just wants to tell us it's okay when it ain't okay? We remember the work of God by sending Jesus that one thing that he did so that the all things that tend to fall apart in our life will be accounted for and will have a sense of purpose. That they will actually work together for good. What does that even mean, work together for good? Well, the Christian life is interesting because it's an exercise in us growing in our limited definition of this word good. So when we think of the word good, we, we need to think of it as not only meaning just this quiet life of comfort and ease or this success-driven existence where, you know, the, the cash is plentiful, the relationships are strong, your physical health intact, nothing ever tragic ever happens, and every dream you've ever had comes true, right? We would say, of course I don't believe that, but yet we're surprised when we're faced with things that push against those things I just said, right? Our definition and our sense and our understanding of good needs to be constantly redefined by the goodness of God, which is a good, by the way, that is vast 
It's as vast as the universe. It's as deep as the ocean. What this means is that God has a good that is beyond the good that we can oftentimes see. But of course, this comes accompanied with a nagging question, which is this. If God is so good, why doesn't he stop bad things from happening, both in my life and in the world? Ronnie, what, can you tell me why? If he's so good and we can agree on what's bad, why doesn't he stop the bad from happening? Here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what we do know. What we do know is that just because we don't know why doesn't mean a good reason doesn't exist that we in our limited and finite understanding don't have any ability to grasp. What I do know is that there is a glory waiting beyond this life that God is helping me to endure through so that I can reach it. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Does this tell you why bad things happen? No. But it tells you who is working through all the things that are happening. And who is so much more important than why? Because we're not going to get those whys this side of glory. So when I was a kid, a movie came out that changed the world called The Karate Kid. Everybody over 45 is doing this right now. So The Karate Kid was about a guy named Daniel who moved with his mom from New Jersey to California. And it was a horrible move for him because all of his friends were in Jersey. And when he got to California, he immediately started getting picked on by this gang of karate kids. He was one against many. And the superintendent of the apartment complex he, li he lived in was a guy named Mr. Miyagi, who was a karate, I don't know the terminology, pro. So he says, Mr. Miyagi, I'm getting killed every day and I need to learn karate so that I can defend myself, so that I can have some chance of standing up for myself at school and not live in fear. And um, Mr. Miyagi says, okay. So he invites Daniel over to his house one day to start his training. And what does he do? But he has Daniel washing his cars for about a week. He has him painting his back deck. He has him doing all of these domestic chores that seem to have literally zero connection to learning karate. And then this day comes when Daniel is tired because all he's doing is making Mr. Miyagi's house look more beautiful and his cars look like they're ready to be sold. And he says, no more. He says, I'm done. Like I'm done. I, like I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for learning karate. 
And Mr. Miyagi rolls his eyes, I think, and he immediately throws some punches at Daniel. And what Daniel realizes is that it was his time spent washing the cars and painting the deck that developed the moves that he needed to learn karate, which is the art of self-defense. And it wasn't until Miyagi came at him that he was able to wax on and wax off and defend himself in a way that was exactly the kind of moves that we would define as karate. But man, those weeks spent washing those cars and painting Miyagi's deck, he, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see what that had to do with karate. He didn't like washing cars. He didn't like painting the back fence, but it didn't make what he was going through untrue to what Miyagi was training him to become, which was the All Valley Karate Tournament champion, which he eventually won. Guys, this movie was 30 years ago. I'm not giving away anything right now. And you're all on season four with Cobra Kai anyway. Paul is driving at something far deeper and infinitely more helpful here than a fix-it verse to help us avoid the uncomfortableness of our circumstances. Unlike some kind of spiritual bandage to put over the top of those things in life that cut us deep, he is providing words to help us understand the purposes of God when the complexities of life are pressing down on us. We don't always know what, we almost never know why, but we always know who. And when we use this verse, by the way, as a band-aid for other people, this is what we're saying to them. We're saying, don't wrestle with your pain. Don't spend any time with it. Pain is bad, reject it, move on, step away. Secondly, what we're saying to people when we use this as a band-aid is, I don't have to get close to you in your pain. I can just slap this on top of it. But that's not what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 28. And in fact, when we understand and apply this verse rightly, some things are going to happen to us. We're going to become more grounded in God's assurance. We're going to become more grounded in God's assurance. He said, you know, and you know, he says in verse 28. This allows you to face the unknowns with a knowingness right? Why? Because you love him and you've been called according to his purpose. It also grounds us in God's love. You love God because he first loved you. The heart of God, you know, in these moments where all of these things are pressing down upon you and you don't, you can't make any sense of it. You know that the heart of God moves towards you. You know that the heart of God is for you. It also grounds you in God's goodness, you are cared for by a God whose character doesn't shift. 
man, he is just so good to you. And you're grounded in God's purposes. You may not know why God does what he does, but you know God. And more importantly, he knows you. This is how you're helped. This is how I'm helped by Romans 8, 28, how you can help others through the things that they're experiencing that feel confusing and feel devastating. That put people in a place of vulnerability where they don't, they don't know what God is doing, but, they, but they want to believe that God is good. They want to believe that God has some ultimate plan and good in mind. And they wish that would change their immediate circumstances like I do. But sometimes it doesn't. But that doesn't change God. That changes us. That conforms us more deeply to the image of Jesus Christ. And there is going to be a time in eternity, in glory, for those of us who have loved God and been called according to his purpose, that we're going to be able, with a particular kind of perspective, look back and understand why we went through what we went through. And so we wait in hope. So let me finish by reading maybe some of the most encouraging passages in Scripture for us as we pick up in verse 31. You can follow along or you can close your eyes and you can receive this as God's word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed All the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these words would change us this morning as once again we are brought back face to face with your love and your grace and your purposes for us.
Lord, thank you that in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Christ because of his love for us. And thank you that it's a love that it is impossible to be separated from because it is grounded in your power and in your might, in your inseparableness toward your people. You are for us. And though we don't have the ability to understand why you allow some of the things you do, and when we look around, we're perplexed and we're distressed, Lord, we trust you for a purpose that is far beyond our grasp, that one day you will call us to glory and then we will be able to understand. And so Lord, today, give us strength to wait in hope, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.